metaphor for and things then, closing in. <laughs> that, oh my god. I'm actually like, <laughs> I'm actually so upset about that. I literally, my whole head was like, oh, the doors are closing, Bella's really slow. <laughs> Welcome back, everyone, to my chagrin. I'm Grace. I'm Truman. Today, we are going to be talking about chapters 22 and 23 of the first Twilight novel, which means we're almost at the end. How do you feel? I am uh, ready ready to wrap this book up. I'm excited to watch the movie. I'm excited to move on to, to the sequel. Yeah, it has taken us a very long time to get through this first book, specifically me, because I, 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 I did that whole thing where I didn't do anything for a year, um, which is fine, totally fine. <laughs> but I think as we get to the end, I definitely get more and more ready to be like, okay, like the story's over. Let's go, let's go, let's go. But I am really excited for you to see the movie and New Moon, which New Moon is my favorite of the Twilight novels, which is very controversial within the fandom. But I'm excited to be able to move on with you. So speaking of, let's get into chapter 22, which is called Hide and Seek. First of all, with the name of the chapter, I can definitely tell like Stephanie was like, yeah, I'm doing something cool here. She's she's hiding and people are seeking her. But it's just like, I thought it was a little silly because but it's there ar- wasn't it's really- ironic because it's a it's a child's <laughs> game, but it's life or death stakes. Yes. It says a lot about society. <laughs> Oh my god. But yeah, I just thought the name was a little like on the nose in the terms of trying to show the stakes in that kind of ironic way, which is fine. Like it's a fine chapter name. I don't think Stephanie Meyer's chapter titles have are very great in the first place, right? Like it usually tells you something that is exactly happening in the chapter or kind of gives away a little bit about what's coming next. It's not They the, don't really leave me. It's not the most on the nose chapter name that we're going to talk about today. <laughs> Yeah, you're right. But we'll get to that. So chapter 22 is Bella returning to starts with Bella returning to the living room after she writes her goodbye letter to Edward. And she gets back in and Alice is in her state of being. When she gets her visions, the way that Alice kind of reacts is very similar to some like medical conditions I have seen. Like I've seen videos and heard about things of like people who are are having like absent seizures or things like that. And it's basically just like staring off into space. Like your body is rigid, like all these things. Her visions are very severe you know mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a very dramatic process mm-hmm. and i think it's very funny because everyone else has everyone else that we know has a gift right like edward jasper they're very subtle there's no way to know like that they're going through something when they're reading people's minds or changing people's emotions but like alice like there's no way that she can hide this gift so when bella got back she kind of realized that she made a mistake but she didn't quite know how you know like she had made her decision to go see james and when she got back she immediately saw the consequences of those decisions but she wasn't sure why alice's visions are like this and i'm really glad she asked later on so we can talk about that mm-hmm. but i, I, I um, was but- wrong you, you were 100 percent right i don't know why i doubted you <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm sorry. I thought we had gotten there already by the time that I had started talking about it <laughs> before. In this part of the book, Jasper, of course, conveniently shows up as soon as Bella walks out of the room and Alice is in the middle of a vision. And he does his whole, like, walking her through it. He's like her support animal like her medical support animal for some reason that term is just completely gone from my head emotional support but animal it's not but it's not emotional like she needs it for like the medical purposes you know how have you ever watched the movie um my sister's keeper i have not oh my gosh well alec baldwin in that he he plays a lawyer who has seizures or something like that and he has a dog who warns some of the seizures and helps him through them mm -hmm. and that's what jasper is doing for alice <laughs> and for some reason that term is completely out of my head but i'm sure somebody will correct me hopefully on the internet i'll look it up after the episode and i probably won't fix it but it's fine so he's there and he's like ready to help her through her visions he takes her hands he loosens her grip off the table she like leans into his chest and when she's done she kind of just stares at bella and isn't ready to share her vision yet and i think i've been thinking about how jasper responds to Alice's emotions in this moment and I'm trying to figure out like how they are so in sync about their like silent communication because I know neither of them have the ability to read each other's minds like sure Alice can tell the future but she can't direct that to Jasper you know what I mean but in this moment Alice finishes with her vision and then they're both just icily silent and ready for the next thing you know so it seems like uh with the soulmates in this book they just are kind of in sync they, they have this unspoken powerful bond and it allows certain plot things to happen without beach without complicated interactions it just happens because their love is so deep yeah it does seem like that happens pretty often where it's like oh alice doesn't even make a face but jasper knows exactly what's going on and all these things and i just wish that we understood that a little bit more because why why do vampires mate like that so far there's a lot between vampires and regular creatures right like snakes and all these other things i give one example and say all these other things you know there's a lot of concreteness to the lore so far we can see where she got this idea from and why it works and blah 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 blah, blah. but this like silent communication between soulmates there's no reasoning behind it there's no why that is interesting. I agree. And so Bella excuses herself, goes to get ready and shower and all these things because she doesn't want to stink for Edward. <laughs> Sorry, I, I'm just like imagining like Edward being like, I like your smell. Don't shower. Um, <laughs> I know. But she goes off and she knows that they're about to have like a silent conversation about her to each other because their hearing is so good that they can basically speak silently to each other and it'd be fine. But when somebody's on the phone, they can't hear it. Interesting. Jasper, of course, creates a peaceful mood that probably helps Alice and Bella through kind of like this next part of like a will they won't they bella is extremely anxious to get to the airport but on the way there is when she asks about alice's visions and so she so she asks she goes how how does it work the things that you see and she mentions that edward says that it wasn't definite that things change 
And then, as she mentions, Edward, Jasper gives a, like, new wave of serenity, uh, which I think is, it's funny that she feels it pretty physically, those emotional changes. But Alice goes, yes, things change, she murmured, hopefully, I thought. Some things are more certain than others, like the weather. People are harder. I only see the course they're on while they're on it. Once they change their minds, make a new decision, no matter how small, the whole future shifts. I nodded thoughtfully, Bella says. So you couldn't see James and Phoenix until he decided to come here. And so I definitely want to talk about that part of this book. What What's your thoughts around Alice's vision capabilities? I don't think that I fully understand them yet. And mm-hmm. I don't know if it's me or if it's the way that they're explained. Mm-hmm. So what do you what do you understand and like don't understand about them? So are they random or does she choose to have them? I think they're random. Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't think that they're I don't so I think we definitely learn about it more later on and I don't think this is quite a spoiler like the way that her vision works right but I think I don't think it's random in the sense that at any given moment she can see some random person on the French subway about to fall onto the tracks right like I don't think it's that random but I think that if she has a focus on certain things like if she wants to see the weather she can kind of like focus about the weather for a while and then the vision will happen when the vision happens i don't think she can for yeah i don't think she can force a vision but i think she can focus what the vision might be about that makes sense Mm -hmm. and so yeah she only sees the course they're on while they're on it when they change their minds, the future shifts. And so I think part of why she's been having more frequent visions is because she is focusing on James. And so every time he changes course, she gets a new vision because the future is changing. Okay, I think I understand better now. And I do I do think they explain it a lot more somewhere down the line. Because I don't know how I got all this information at this point. I've already forgotten I don't think she can, yeah, so she can't control when, but she can control who about for the most part, which is, it's pretty cool. It's pretty useful that way. And so Bella kind of deduces that Alice saw her in the mirror room with James based on her, her like vision this morning and the way that they're being very observant of her, you know, and speaking of observation, Mm -hmm. uh, there's a line that says, Almost as if I were borrowing Jasper's strange extra sense. I could feel Alice's wild, though well-conceived, desperation to have me out of the room to be alone with Jasper. Which is from a a little bit before, and that continues the trend of inconsistency on how good the vampires are at concealing their emotions. Yeah, because maybe Bella, so sure, maybe Bella is making these feelings up right um maybe she's just imagining that alice wants her out of the room blah 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 blah. but how can she feel her wild but well-concealed desperation at the same time those are (laughs) it's not well-concealed if you can feel it and this is like so frequent she's like i understand the vampire's emotions but they're goats they're so good at hiding them like how bella Do you think Bella's just projecting everything? I think I think there's definitely a good chunk of projection from Bella. I do I 100% believe Bella is an extremely unreliable narrator. I think her depiction of events are very very much skewed to her personal emotions. Because I mean, like Edward will look at her and she'll be like, "He hates me," and then the words that come out of his mouth are, "I love you," and it's like, <laughs> how can I believe a word this woman has to say? 
But yeah, so they get to the airport, and I know that you did a little bit of research about the Phoenix airport. Yes, so I think I found my niche on this podcast, and it's uh-huh. uh, looking up infrastructure details about Phoenix. <laughs> so in this book, Bella says that Terminal 4 is the biggest terminal, which is good for her because it will make it the easiest for her to escape unnoticed. Mm-hmm. So I that up, and it is in fact the largest terminal at the airport in Phoenix. However, <laughs> it is an inter- at least currently it is an international terminal, whereas it is a domestic flight that is arriving in the book. Yes, and I had thoughts about this as well, because I, I have been to small town airports, I've been to big town airports, all those things. And when they're flying from somewhere small, like they said they returned to Forks and then got like a flight. I'm sure they didn't fly right out of Forks, but they flew pretty close from it. Mm-hmm. You're probably going to arrive in one of the smaller terminals, especially if it's going to be domestic, because it's very it's probably very rare that they have like more than one flight from Washington to Arizona in like one day, you know? It doesn't. It just doesn't make sense that they would be flying to the largest terminal at all, no matter if it was international or not. But I also don't think that from 2022 to 2005, Phoenix, Arizona's airport has changed so much that their terminal terminal finally became international. You know. <laughs> I I just want to give myself an out. <laughs> That's true. In case you know, Stephanie comes up in your sleeve and is like, "Was it international back in the day?" <laughs> I do wonder about the next part coming up about the the bathroom. So they get to the airport. They're sitting there. They're waiting for the flight. Bella's impatient. Alice is impatient. And Alice keeps asking her, do you want breakfast? Do you want breakfast? Do you want breakfast? And it almost feels like that's part of her vision for some reason. She does bring it up a lot. I noticed that as well. Yeah, like the breakfast piece is like, it, it's big. Alice is like, are you going to eat? Are you going to eat? Are you going to eat? For someone who just remembered a couple days ago that humans need to eat more often, I would think that she wouldn't care so much if Bella says like, oh, I'm not hungry and then she'll be like oh okay she'll tell me when she's hungry you know um maybe she's it's like when you overwater a plant it's like going too far in the opposite direction (laughs) that might be true I frequently overwater plants but I have one more terminal four fact Mm -hmm. uh if Bella was to eat breakfast this would be a good location for it because according (laughs) to the website for the airport terminal four has won many awards given its features and concessions (laughs) which it does which that page does not list It doesn't give any of the features or concessions. No. It just, it hopes you believe them. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I can't imagine an airport award ceremony (laughs) and being like, Phoenix, Arizona Terminal 4 has gotten the blue ribbon prize. Or features and concessions. (laughs) Features and concessions. Like, I can't imagine the process that would lead up to this existence. You're right. It doesn't have a lot of things. She said she she pretended to lack interest in the first few airport cafes. And then she finally found the level three ladies room. And so I'm wondering if Stephanie Meyer like was in the Phoenix airport doing some research, walking around and being like, so how would I escape from this area? You know, and then all of a sudden she stumbles on this bathroom that has two exits, which I don't think I've ever really seen before. But like, it's totally plausible that a bathroom has two exits. Yes, Um, I agree. <laughs> but I've definitely never seen it before. I guess I uh, I can't mm-hmm. say with certainty that I haven't seen it before because I don't give much of my memories to bathroom layouts. 
<laughs> I am a little bit hyper aware of bathrooms because it traumatized me one time. When I was like 13, I was totally in my like me and hoodie phase and so I went with one of my friends and I was walking into the bathroom and as I started walking in she went in behind me and somebody yelled at her she was like hey like that's the men's room but I was already almost in there and so that to me left me like so upset I was like how did I miss which bathroom it was and so now for the rest of my life I am so aware of what bathroom I'm going into because 13 year old me was so embarrassed that one I was walking into the men's room and two that nobody bothered to stop me (laughs) so I do give a little bit more thought process to the bathrooms than the average person so my bad (laughs) if you have been to this airport mm -hmm. please report back if you're going there in the future be on the lookout and then come back to us (laughs) I want a full full blueprints of this building (laughs) um Taylor Swift and Paramore are gonna have two shows in Phoenix, Arizona, and I am wanting to go to that show so badly because I want to watch Paramore open for Taylor Swift, and so if I do get tickets to that show, knock on wood, God be on my side, like, all of the things, because the Taylor Swift show is, like, it's gonna be impossible to get tickets, but anyway, if I do end up getting tickets to that one... Uh, for whatever reason it happens, I will be flying into the Phoenix airport and I I will also be on the lookout. But listeners, if you know, please give us the deets. Get to uh, the bottom of this some way. <laughs> some way or somehow. I'm sure there's like a 3D online tour we can take, but True. I'm not going there. And then we could explore um, the many features and concessions ourselves in the metaverse. <laughs> exactly. But... She asked Jasper to go with her so that she could escape to the bathroom. And so as soon as she like got to the bathroom, she started sprinting. And my first question is, how did Jasper not hear her footsteps? Could he have not heard them go from like tap, tap, tap to tap, 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 you know? Maybe he turned off the super hearing out of privacy. Respect. <laughs> like, oh, like, what if she... <laughs> I don't want to hear her pee. I think that would be... That would be funny, but I don't think that they have that capability to turn off their super hearing. But they can, like, zone out, I probably, so that could be why. I don't know. They knew something was going on with Bella. And how could they not feel, like, one, how could Jasper not feel her, like, deceitfulness? Like, I feel like wanting to trick somebody is accompanied with some type of emotional response, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like, how could he not feel that in the first place like oh i have to use the bathroom her heartbeat must have quickened she must have gotten more anxious like she can't be that great at controlling her emotions in a life and death situation like this is the first one she's ever experienced (laughs) this whole next part she was just able to escape she ran out the bathroom doors she went to the elevator where the door was almost closing on her she was able to get down past security and go out the front doors where the doors almost closed on her again it's a metaphor for things closing in (laughs) that oh my god you're right i'm actually like (laughs) i'm actually so upset about that i literally my whole head was like oh the doors are closing bella's really slow (laughs) (laughs) like i'm so serious it could be both i didn't even (laughs) Huh? It could be both. I, yeah, it can be both, but I don't think that that was what Stephanie was going for. 
I literally wrote it down in our notes. I was like, truly, Bella must be slow. <laughs> oh my god. And so, it's a metaphor. Oh my god. I literally go through these books with such a fine-tooth comb, but now that we're so close to the end, I am just exhausted. <laughs> That's true. You have so many color-coded separators for marking each, like, separate type of thing that you notice. I know. And it's like, but now, here I am, and it's just like, I'm so exhausted with this. Get it over with. Because we still have, it like, one more chapter and the epilogue, right? Yeah, there's, there's still a little bit left, I think. <laughs> so, it's a little silly. Yeah. And so the Hyatt doors are closing on her too. And I think I think that's the last well, then the cabs. After the cab, that's the last thing that like is about to shut on her. And I know that the vampires very much like don't want to blow their cover in any way. But I feel like the airport's so busy that I feel like typical large scale airports are pretty much always busy. And I guess in my head, they could have run fast enough to like be caught up with the bus. And nobody really would have noticed unless they were looking for them, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I am a little shocked that, like, Bella was able to just get away like that with nobody behind her. So she got on the bus to the Hyatt. And then when she got there, somebody was getting out of her cab. And Stephanie Stephanie wrote, she said, my luck held, which I think is kind of covering her bases for Bella kind of being a Mary Sue in this situation. And for like people that don't know, a Mary Sue is a term for the perfect character. The dictionary.com uh, definition uh, says, Mary Sue is a term used to describe a fictional character, usually female, who's seen as too perfect and almost boring for lack of flaws originally written as an idealized version of an author in a fan fiction i think i mentioned it before but this is a stephanie meyer self-insert fan fiction bella looks like stephanie does she mm -hmm. we need to discuss this further at a later date but Mm -hmm. the frequently asked questions from the author about this book are still available online, and they are a fascinating read. Perhaps the most notable one is where she states explicitly that Bella going from not being noticed to everyone in town falling in love with her is based directly on her real experiences. (laughs) That, yeah. Oh my god, those FAQs. I, I can't wait to just have, like, a thousand episodes based on that maybe we should (laughs) maybe we should start like a patreon and just like get those that would be just the whole thing (laughs) it would be but yeah i mean like bella is very mary sue like but she tries she definitely tries very hard to subvert that whole thing you know like bella's like oh she can't be perfect she has anxiety and like all these things you know but in this moment everything is working perfectly for her yes she gets in the the standard mm -hmm. rom-com flaws of clumsiness and lack of self-confidence yes (laughs) and so she gets into the back of the cab and she's like i need to get there as soon as possible and so she gives her mom's address and he goes it's in scottsdale and so she throws him 80 bucks and says will that be enough personally i've never ridden in a cab so i looked it up and scottsdale mm -hmm. is 8.4 miles away from the phoenix airport It's less than a 20-minute drive. (laughs) It was entirely unreasonable for the cab driver to not want to go. I feel like 20 minutes is nothing as a cab driver. Mm -hmm. And if you're going from the airport, usually an airport's not going to be in the middle of the neighborhood. Your entire job is to take people to their (laughs) homes, which is going to be some distance away. That's very true. This is from the Hyatt, which I don't think is very far from the airport either. I think they're pretty close, especially if they're offering a shuttle. 
I don't think 8.4 miles is that bad. But I'm also thinking about how this whole time Bella's like, yeah, I'm from Phoenix, Arizona. I'm from Phoenix, Arizona. Bella, you're from Scottsdale. (laughs) These are not the same place. It's like people who live in New Jersey saying they live in New York or people from Nova saying they live in D.C. Like, you're you're lying, Bella. (laughs) You're not from Phoenix. This is an entire chapter of Bella lying. (laughs) Bella just spins the truth just a little bit all the time. But she gets into the cab and she immediately starts fantasizing about Edward. How she would have run to him and been wrapped in his marble arms. And how they would be somewhere north or remote or by the ocean or whatever, whatever. She again kind of likens being with him to heaven because of course edward is our is is jesus in her world i think in this chapter and the next chapter stephanie gets very good at being descriptive in a kind of special way and i think it really starts here with these delusions of grandeur these daydreams just everything that bella is obsessed with and when the cabbie asks the question hey what's the number it punctured her fantasy and so i immediately imagine a bubble bursting and bella kind of falling from this beautiful colorful world back into the backseat of this drab car And she talks about it being full of fear and it was bleak and the colors of her delusions fall away. And so I'm really liking this otherworldly description to that's being added to these books because they're fantasy books, you know? I think everything's been pretty realistic just in terms of the way that everything is seen, you know? And I think in fantasy novels, there's usually... A lot more color, a lot more magic, a lot more intrigue, and this is this is very real. They go to high school, they are in Phoenix, Arizona, where she has to take a cab, like all these things, you know? They drive Volvos. <laughs> they drive Volvos. The most realistic and- car in existence. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really liking this kind of shift in the narrative structure where Stephanie is willing to open up to a magical element of it, like in her descriptions so i'm really liking that they get home and she pays the cabbie and she gets up to her house and she reaches her enormously long arms to the roof and grabs the key and i am so mad about this part because i think stephanie does it like pretty frequently where she just finds something interesting a word or a phrase or whatever and squeeze it into the squeezes it into the book even if it doesn't make sense So she runs to the door, reaching up automatically to grab the key under the eave. And I had no clue what an eave was, so I went and looked it up. It's it's literally the overhanging part of the roof. And I just... I I didn't question that at the time, because unlike you, if I (laughs) come across a word that I don't know, I mostly just skip it. (laughs) I, I have to look it up. If I don't know the word, then I must look it up. That's how this podcast name got started. I had no clue what chagrin meant. And I and she used it all the time. And so I was like, okay, let me Google it. But Eve is one of my, my Googled words. And I'm genuinely very upset about it because it is the overhanging part on the roof. Because you know how like when you draw a house, you draw like a little triangle and you draw the rectangle and then the triangle is a little bit bigger than the rectangle. That, that slightly bigger part, that's the eave. And even on the shortest part of the house, there's no way Bella could reach that. And I like what she really meant is like she grabbed it from like, you know how on doors there's like 
what are they called? Knobs. No. Like around the door. Frame? Yeah. So the door frames, they jut out a little bit, usually. Mm. And that's where people will hide a key, is like in that slightly jutted out part of the door frames. I'm not going to tell where I hide my key because I don't trust any of our listeners. (laughs) I don't have to hide a key. I use an app to get into my apartment because I'm fancy. Um, I use my roommates. (laughs) That, yeah. I mean, that's what me and... Delilah would do like we would never lock the door back in the day um back in college when we were in the dorms which sure maybe not safe but nothing ever got stolen so it's whatever I have (laughs) I have a story about not locking my dorm room in college go ahead it's kind of gross (laughs) so fair warning you guys can probably skip like 15 seconds if you don't want to it's gonna take longer than 15 seconds okay I'll like okay I'll Maybe we'll superimpose something. Maybe not. But okay, go on. So it was the middle of the night uh, mm-hmm. when I am woken up by the sound of water. And I think, mm-hmm. oh no, was my room flooding? No, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> I live on the third floor. Is there a leak? So I, I get up uh, and then my roommate shines his flashlight. Uh, and there is uh, a hallmate urinating in our trash can. <laughs> and we yell at him to stop. <laughs> and he's so drunk. He's nearly catatonic. Oh, no. And we, like, keep yelling at him. And he eventually turns, but he turns 90 degrees instead of 180 degrees. So he's still facing a wall. And he keeps pressing on the wall like it's a door that he's trying to open. Oh, no. So we keep yelling at him. And eventually he goes. Uh, And then (laughs) we later learn that he went into the common room, took off his pants, and slept sitting down with his neck at a 90 degree angle. Poor guy. No, not poor guy. I mean, poor like, me. his neck's gonna hurt in the morning. <laughs> Don't take his side. <laughs> oh my gosh. Poor poor Truman. I'm very sorry. <laughs> and that's why I, I lock my bedroom door to this day, no matter what scenario I'm in. Oh my gosh. I mean, yeah, that... I think locking bedroom doors is probably the safest scenario in a lot of in a lot of places. But I've I've been in those undisclosed college freshman dorms and they're not like they're not big or anything like that. And so <laughs> I'm just kind of imagining this guy like barely feet from you guys. At least he stopped peeing by the time he turned, right? Like he didn't just piss all over your floor. No, he he definitely did. I should say he oh. aimed for the trash can. His aim was very bad. <laughs> Oh, no. How did he... What did he think was going on? (laughs) So, our room was next to the bathroom. So, my theory Mm. is that he overshot it. (laughs) But it's it's very interesting that something about his brain made a connection between a trash can and a toilet. At least he didn't, like, walk up to, like, one of your beds. (laughs) That is true. I I got nothing on me. So, I suppose I should be thankful for that. Yeah. Did you guys, like, contact him after and make him clean it up? I mean, we were not going to leave it until he sobered up, so we cleaned it. That That's fair. But then he gave me some money. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> At least he made money off of the experience. Oh my god. That's crazy. Rip, you guys. Thank you. Um, <laughs> R.I.P. Um, <laughs> but Anyway, back to the book. Do you think she used the word Eve because it's an illusion? I think she used it because it's fancy. I mean that. I think she... Like Bella's Eve. Oh my god. Shut uh, I'm tired of this. No. <laughs> I mean, kind of. I think she definitely searches for a way to make the language stand for something as she uses it, but still make it readable to her audience, right? 
So I think she definitely chose the word Eve for a reason, either to be a little bit fancy or have her relate back to being Eve or any of these things. It was purposeful. I just don't think it was the smartest decision to use that word. I agree. But I do remember a while back, um, I speculated that Bella has actual spider monkey arms based on the description, (laughs) the very odd description of anatomy when she was on Edward's back. (laughs) So maybe she does. Maybe that's something we should keep in mind going forward. That her arms are disproportionate instead of the normal, like, two feet long arm. Well, okay, I'm not going to say that. That's, I don't think arms are two feet. I think they're long. So normally the ratio is that it's your arm span matches your height. Yeah, and so maybe her arm span gives her, like, three more inches of height. And so they're, like, these long, long arms. So I learned recently um, that uh, that ratio is, I think, called the ape index or something. And most <laughs> humans have one, but a lot of certain types of athletes have, like, 1.1 or something. Mm-hmm. It yeah, makes them they, better swimmers athletes, and stuff. <laughs> athletes do have different ratios, which I think is very funny. And Bella has a 1.5. Um, <laughs> I have I have short stubby arms. We actually did that in my in one of my master's classes. We were like, oh, like lay on the floor and we'll do your height, and then we'll see if your arm span matches your height perfectly. I thought you were going to say in to. elementary school. No, <laughs> I did this like a few months ago in my class for my master's program. What's the class? <laughs> It wasn't for the class. It was just we were in class. Our professor was like, oh, this is what we did with my family the other day. And we were like, let's do it. And so, because there's only three people in the class, plus the professor. So we all just like laid on the floor and tested our arm length versus our height. And I think my arms were a little bit shorter than my height. So I have I have stubby arms. Anyway, Twilight. (laughs) (laughs) So she gets home, she gets inside, and she gives the phone call. And this is where we know Bella would be a bad hostage situation negotiator. She did not ask for proof of life. And so she gets on the phone. She's like, is my mom fine? And he's like, she's fine, Bella. Don't worry. You should come alone. And he tells her, go to the ballet studio around the corner from your home. And she's like, all right, we'll do. And she starts running again. She's running for what feels like a very long time. She falls a couple times. And then eventually she kind of like slows down because she she's tired she's sweaty it's hot all of that and then she rounds the last corner onto cactus street uh one more uh, logistics (laughs) thing that no one asked for Mm -hmm. cactus is not in walking distance of scottsdale (laughs) it's like a 20 to 30 minute drive oh my god so okay i was kind of right about it not being real (laughs) that's so funny we we we've definitely gone so much into the logistics of just the infrastructure of this Scottsdale, Arizona, Phoenix, Arizona if you end place, up, you know? If you end up in Phoenix for the concert, you have to go to Cactus. Take a selfie <laughs> Take with a sign. you like, this is where Bella almost died. <laughs> That'd be funny. So she makes it there after running for a while. And when she gets to the door, she's pretty much slow. Um, and she could see the sign inside the door, which is handwritten on hot pink paper, uh, which means this is a very low budget dance studio. I can definitely picture that, though. That's a, that's a fun <laughs> detail. It is. It's cute. She goes inside. Of course, the door is open. James is waiting for her. And she hears her mom's voice again. And she starts running towards it, trying to find where the voice is coming from. And then she sees her mom on a TV screen. And so I'll read that out a little bit. There she was on the TV screen, tossing my hair in relief. 
It was Thanksgiving, and I was 12. We'd gone to see my grandmother in California the last year before she died. We went to the beach one day, and I'd leaned too far over the edge of the pier. She'd seen my feet flailing, trying to reclaim my balance. Bella, Bella, she'd called out to me in fear. And then the TV screen was blue. I think that's also a metaphor. My, <laughs> my thing about this... I think that I think that scene of like Bella flailing, trying to get her balance, all that stuff. I think that's definitely definitely a metaphor. My first thought though is, how could you not tell the difference between a recorded voice and a real voice, especially in two thousand five? The quality's bad <laughs> in two thousand five. There, ha- there's probably like a little bit of a crackle. This is a home video. Audio is so hard. <laughs> there's no way that. And you know, there's. There's always that, the wind noise is always very severe when you're trying to film something outside with poor equipment. Yeah, like this is on some random, probably Black Friday deal camcorder. (laughs) And this camcorder would have been from the 90s. Yeah, because it's 2005, Bella's 17, she was 12. So it, it, it would have been much older. So I'm just like, I'm not seeing how Bella didn't realize that it wasn't her mom. Because home videos definitely have like a very specific sound to them. Mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of America's Funniest Home videos. <laughs> exactly. And so it's a little silly, but whatever, Bella. But the TV t- screen turns blue and it signifies the end of Bella's life. And she sees James right by the exit. And I just think this whole next part with James, I think it's it's a very menacing written scene, you know? She's definitely building up to what could have been a very good fight. But so... James mm-hmm. says that he spe- like specifically chose the location because he thought it'd be cool to film in, which I yes. think is very funny. James is a cinema- <laughs> cinematographer. He is the man behind the curtain he he knows what he is doing i'm sure it would be really cool to film in do twilight vampires show up in mirrors yes <laughs> that's one thing yeah they do so james is like are you not mad that i tricked you and she she's not she is giddy with relief her family is safe and james just doesn't quite get why but he does talk about how he's like yeah humans can be interesting Especially because you guys don't have any sense of self-interest in yourselves. And, you know, like, Bella definitely isn't somebody who wants to save herself above all. Uh, which I think is, like, probably the best trait about Bella is that she she truly is pretty selfless in the grand scheme of things. I think when the stakes are down, like, in this situation, she is. Mm-hmm. Like, she's, I think- she's willing to die for the people around her, but she's not willing to be nice to them day to day. Uh... <laughs> Yes, correct. I think this is where it matters the most in Bella world, though, because Bella doesn't have to be nice to her dad for her dad to love her. Like, and he doesn't quite seem to notice that she's being mean to him, right? So for for Bella, who doesn't even think that she's being all that mean to her dad, for Bella to sacrifice her life for her dad, like this is like, oh, Bella is such a great person, blah, 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 blah. But I think that at least at this point, this is where it kind of matters for her is can she can she deal with these life and death situations that will surround her as somebody who loves a vampire because this is the first of four books obviously it's not the end right wait really (laughs) so this is this is the first sign that bella can probably handle what's to come and so her selflessness matters the most in this situation because will she put her family at risk if she continues doing this? 
And can she own those consequences? Like, you know? Mm -hmm. But he goes through kind of all the things that have been happening on the other side. Classic villain speech. I'll always try to show, oh, I'm much smarter than you. And Victoria couldn't get to her dad. And so they started choosing a new, trying to find out where she would go. Of course, she got the phone call. Well, he intercepted the phone call to her mom and was assuming like, hey, she's probably is in Phoenix. And then, of course, Edward got on the plane to Phoenix. And so it kind of put two and two together that, yeah, she's there, um, which could have worked trying to trick him. But also, I think it would have been I think it's just so silly that they thought they could have like tricked him by going to the place they said they were going to go when they should have just kind of like disappeared (laughs) into the world, you know? She notices that the bravado of James was wearing off and that he was kind of coming to the end of his villain speech. And he's talking about leaving a little letter of his own. And this is where he tells about how with all the mirrors, it would be kind of a gorgeous place to film a murder, which is it's dark. It's creepy. I think it's extra. (laughs) It's extra. So he wants to rub it in and see like this next part is like so self-explanatory. Like it's just him kind of discussing things that we've already been through. But then we get to kind of a new a new revelation. So James says, I would like I would just like to rub it in just a little bit. The answer was there all along, and I was so afraid Edward would see that and ruin my fun. It happened once, oh, ages ago. The one and only time my prey escaped me. You see, the vampire who was so stupidly fond of this little victim made the choice that your Edward was too weak to make. When the old one knew I was after his little friend, he stole her from the asylum where he worked. I never will understand the obsession some vampires seem to form with you humans and as soon as he freed her he made her safe she didn't seem to notice the pain poor little creature she'd been stuck in that black hole of a cell for so long a hundred years earlier she would have been burned at the stake for her visions in the 1920s it was the asylum and the shock treatments when she opened her eyes strong with fresh youth it was like she'd never seen the sun before the old vampire made her a strong new vampire and there was no reason for me to touch her then i destroyed the old one in vengeance And then Bella says, Alice, did you connect that this story was about Alice? Yes. How? Just because Alice's backstory was shrouded in mystery and this character's backstory matches up with what we know of Alice. Mm -hmm. I guess that's true. I think that the only piece that upon reading it another time, the only piece that made it kind of click was the thing about the visions. I think that one is the biggest plant. I guess like I I guess that I feel like it's too vague. So do you think that Bella wanna be smart enough to deduce this? <laughs> A little bit, because I'm trying really hard to be mindful, right? Because I read more of the books. And I think the other books connect this piece a little bit better. Also, it's easier for me to make this connection than it should be for Bella. Because I know this is a book with like a limited number of characters. Yes. And like, why would they introduce some random vampire that nobody has ever heard about? Of course, it has to be one of the girls. For Bella, there are a million possibilities that it could be. Yeah. And so I think Bella getting it is why I'm kind of like, why, how, how did she get this so fast? That's fair. But he's like, yeah, it was your little friend. She escaped me. She escaped me. And I was really surprised to see her in the clearing. And he was like, yeah, she smelled even better than you do. And he calls her floral, which I guess her blood has lavender in it. I don't know. <laughs> so he's kind of ready to get it on. Bella feels pretty sick to her stomach. She knows that everything's about to be really painful. She's about to get and probably die and so she runs and i i do think she's that like, <laughs> at this 
element adds some depth to James. It like makes his passion a little bit more understandable. Because I'd, I'd said previously, he kind of comes out of nowhere. And he's just swinging. Mm-hmm. And now we we know a little bit more why he's so committed. Yeah, I mean, like, let's talk about James a little bit. Because this definitely ties it together a lot more than the previous things that we've seen. Like, why was he so up in the air about wanting to get to Bella at first? She's just some random human. And oh, the initial assumption is Edward made her a good chase. But then now we're learning that it's it's more out of vengeance for losing Alice the first time. Mm-hmm. I think it's kind of cool to have more depth to the evil character. Like, instead of it just being, he's a vampire, so of course he's evil. All the vampires are evil except for Edward and his family, you know? I think him him wanting revenge makes it make a lot more sense. And so she starts to run, and she doesn't know if he hits her with his foot or his hand, but she flies backwards into a mirror. Um, her head bashes into the mirror. The glass shatters. It splinters on the floor, and she's stunned. She can't feel the pain. She can't breathe. And this is where he says, I thought this room would be visually dramatic for my little film. That's why I picked this place to meet you. It's perfect, isn't it? She tries to get to her hands and knees and crawl to the door. And he's over her again and he steps on her leg and he breaks it. But he's begging her to tell Edward to avenge him. He's like, do you want to rethink your last request? Wouldn't you have Edward try to kill me? She's like, no, like Edward, don't do it. And she feels and the pain starts to kind of overtake her. She feels blood going through her hair, her legs, her arms. And she gets nauseous and dizzy and she feels This part's really, really dark. I feel like so much darker than the rest of the novel is. And she sees this hunger in his eyes that gives her hope. And I think that's really intense because her next hope is like, oh, I, I really hope he kills me soon so that I don't have to continue to suffer. And I think it's really, I don't know, it's really, it's really weird how accepting Bella is of death. That's interesting. I think she definitely has, for a 17 year old, she has a very, she has very much grappled with her mortality a lot more than the average teen would have. It's also a, a very dramatic romance novel or romance genre thing to, to accept death very Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> it is. They are very much Romeo and Juliet. She She's just hoping that the rest of it is quick and she's losing consciousness. And this is where she, she feels like she's plunged into water. There's an underwater element. And this is that second part of that fantasy element that I'm really enjoying in the narrative, right? And it also connects it's, with her almost falling off the pier. It does. And so this is her basically falling off that pier into that water. And that's like that's a really cool setup of Stephanie. And I think that this neck this fantasy element of what it feels like to be floating between life and death is really, really cool. And so she raises to protect her face, her eyes close, and she drifts. And then we get to chapter twenty-three, the angel. Um, and this one's really short, so I think that we'll squeeze it into this episode. But she says that she drifted, she dreamed. So she's floating under dark water. And she's basically like bobbing in this imaginary ocean. And I think that this imagery is just really, really cool because we're not seeing the fight that ensues. And I know you had a little bit to say about not seeing the fight, right? Yes. So I was reminded of The Hobbit. 
Mm-hmm. Um, the Hobbit Which I, I haven't read mm-hmm. ends with the Battle of the Five Armies, but the the main character Bilbo gets hit in the head with a rock at the beginning, and he falls unconscious, and he misses the entire battle. And the reader also <laughs> misses the battle for that reason. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I, I was reminded of that. Oh my gosh! I I've only ever seen like the movies. I actually don't think I've seen the Hobbit movies. I've seen the Lord of the Ring movies, and I couldn't imagine them without like the fight scenes. You know. Yes, well, the, the Hobbit oh. is also much more of a children's story and more like a fairy tale, mm. so it, it concentrates less on, on war. That makes sense. So in this one, Bella is bobbing in this dark ocean between consciousness and unconsciousness and life and death, and there's an angel who calls her name to the only heaven she could ever want, and... West Virginia. Edward... <laughs> And Edward is always being likened to angels, God, Adam, you know, like he's always this biblical figure in her life. There's some subtle uh, comparisons in this chapter. I like the title name and (laughs) and all the imagery. She's so, so subtle in this one. I almost missed it. (laughs) But, you know, he's he's hugging her. He's weeping. And she's she's just in her, her head. And she's like, this angel shouldn't weep. It's wrong. And so she's like trying to break out of this darkness to let the angel know, like, you should not be sad right now. Like, you're an angel. You're beautiful. You're you're God. You're you're heavenly. Why would you be weeping? And this angel is howling in rage and anger and he's he's not acting very angelic and there's a methodical voice and i'm a little surprised she didn't liken this methodical voice to god you know Um, maybe that was a step too far for stephanie meyer (laughs) it might have been but it would have worked so well you know like there is there is god he is calm he is all knowing he is working to fix the problem and the angel is weeping the angels losing their mind and god is directing the angel to back to perfection back to getting things to work out and i think that would have made so much sense as just like a set of metaphors you know when you're deeply religious you're already teetering the line of sacrilegious (laughs) comparing vampires to angels so I, i i'm not surprised that There's no real mention of God in any way. But as the pain gets worse, her consciousness gets better. And she knows she knows this angel is Edward. And so she switches to his name and she's she's trying to tell him, like, it's burning. My arm is on fire. Everything is burning. And she's trying to get them to put the put the fire out. She doesn't know what's happening. All she feels is this burn. And Carlisle loses his his godliness and Edward loses his angelness and they they panic and this is where they're told they're telling this is where Edward is told that he has to suck the venom out of her arm so I looked it up Mm -hmm. and this uh, could perhaps be useful advice for our listeners you cannot actually suck out snake venom it will not help the person and it could potentially hurt you because you'll get more venom in your you'll get venom in you yes and like once they're bit it's already in there um so I and you can't get it out yes I think there are antidotes but I don't think that you can physically remove it from the body why did media lie to us (laughs) i've always been ready to just like suck venom out of somebody bitten by a snake so hopefully this is helpful to someone (laughs) i I don't know if vampirism is different well obviously it is but 
previously we have like had those snake metaphors right Mm -hmm. alice was like telling her how the venom spreads and the still the still looks like what we what we quote unquote know about how to get venom out of somebody who's bitten by a snake serpent garden of eden metaphor (laughs) it continues um and so carlisle's trying to fix the wounds alice is trying to help and edward is the only one who's free to suck the venom out bella it's painful for her at first it's worse and it hurts and she's thrashing and everyone's holding her down and she obviously can't move with the hulk strength of these vampires and her consciousness slips back out as the pain subsides and she's back in those waters again trying not to lose her love in the darkness and she can talk to him and edward says that her blood is clean and he can taste the morphine she says that the fire is gone and carlisle asks about her mother and she says it was fake it was just videos and she she's trying to sound angry she has all these emotions beneath her voice but but she can't quite get it out because she's just so frail she's on the verge of death and then she she tells alice that he knows where she came from it's on the video then she smells gasoline and edward picks her up and tells her to sleep and those were the last words she heard those are the last words we read very short chapter. it was short <laughs> it was short but i feel like we did get a good chunk out of it like not just what we're reading but just we got a lot of stuff out of a very short chapter. Characters, metaphors, imagery, <laughs> impractical snake advice. I- <laughs> yeah. I do feel like this is probably one of the best chapters she had written in this book. Even though it was short, I think that it was full of very well-written imagery. I think that she put a lot of characterization on... We learned how Edward is... In a moment of panic, we learned how Carlisle's Carlisle's a doctor, you know, like he, he truly has been a doctor his whole life and it benefits them. And, you know, like Alice has the strength that she can be near all this raw human blood and circumvent it to help Bella, you know? I do feel like we did get a lot out of just this very short chapter for for some of those reasons, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do, I'm still, I don't know, I'm still on that imagery. I think that it is just really well done. And I could only imagine how different this book would be if it was full of imagery like that versus reality, you know? Like when she's in high school, it's all very real. And but now that she's in the vampire world and it's all very fake, it's fantasy. And I really like that kind of dichotomy between Bella's real world and the vampire world and how the imagery changes when she's in one versus the other. So I thought that was really cool of her. Any thoughts on this last chapter? Any thoughts on what's next? No, I I think I've said my piece for this week. Yeah, I mean, I think that I think that these chapters were good, but very rushed and very different from what we've experienced in the past. I, I would agree with that. Yeah, I think these almost could be in a different book, these last these two chapters. I think it's a very interesting way to kind of end the story. We have a little bit left with Bella and Edward in this book. And then in the next couple of weeks, we'll be on to the movies. So I'm excited. Just the one movie. Well, yeah, the, the single movie. <laughs> 
anything you want to plug this week? Any new YouTube videos out? Not out, but there should be a new one out this week, hopefully. Awesome. And it will awesome. be my first ever video that I film in live action. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. I'm excited about that. Me too, me too. And what was your YouTube channel again? Gray Merchant of Magic. Awesome. And it's also Gray Merchant of Magic on Twitter, right? Uh, yes, uh, at Merchant underscore Magic. Merchant underscore Magic. And we, of course, are Chagrin Pod on Instagram and Twitter. And if you want to email us for whatever reason, I'm going to continue to plug this email. I don't know why. Have you ever received an email? Um, but it's... <laughs> no, but in my head, it's just like exactly what... I want. I want people to email me. You can um, be the first. <laughs> yes, please be the first. If you email us, I think we'll give you a shout out on the pod. Fair um, enough. Just don't forget to <laughs> don't forget to include your username of any of your social medias that you want shouted out on the pod if you email us. That's chagrinpod at gmail.com. Ask a question or, or make a point or something. Yeah, like give us some something to talk about. But also, if you don't want to email us, but you still want us to know how you feel about the podcast, please re- leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Leave a five out of five. We would love that. Or a four out of four. I think the lowest I'm willing to let you leave is a three, but you got to give me a good reason. <laughs> you can leave some stars on Spotify, but you can't give us a reason for that one. So make sure those ones are nice and high and let us know what you think of the podcast. Reach out tweet at us dm us on instagram leave us reviews we we want to hear from you guys i think that it would be really fun to learn more about what you guys think i've definitely heard from a few of you guys and it it warms my heart every single time break so. break into our houses with the keys that we keep in our eaves <laughs> yes break into our houses jk please don't i that would be scary anything else before we sign off no i think that's all for me sounds good we'll see you guys next week thanks for listening bye, bye.